1: Why does a wealthy country like Australia allow its unemployed workers to struggle in poverty without trying to create jobs? You may well ask. Unemployed Workers Fight Back is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union program, part of the sewer program, on every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Our social security system is being defunded, privatised and dismantled, and the poor and vulnerable are being criminalised and trampled upon. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is focused on helping unemployed and underemployed workers deal effectively with the job agencies, empowering them to fight back for their rights. Remember, unemployed workers fight back every second Friday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Oh well, good afternoon. You're with Valerie Fafella on Unemployed Workers Fight Back, a program of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union on 3CR Community Radio, every second Friday of the month at 5.30pm. Today we investigate some of the ways the LNP government permits the corrupt abuse of programs for disadvantaged unemployed workers. People like Paul Baker, an NDIS recipient who claims his care package is being decimated by lawyers for the large organisation NDIS. Also, reported corruption in the Parents' Next program, where job agencies get $600 for every client and get to decide who must participate. Whistleblowers say parents are being kept in the scheme who should be exempt, but are not told they're exempt. They argue that the $351 million government program, $1 million program, aimed at getting parents back to work, is exploiting vulnerable single mothers and even the homeless. They argue the program is creating a financial incentive for some third-party contractors to exploit the vulnerable. So we'll talk about that a bit later. Meanwhile, Jean Sirachi, who runs our online advocacy program for the Unemployed Workers' Union in Melbourne, will give us some examples of the dire situations facing callers to the advocacy <coughs> line and how the team provides assistance. And frontline AUW worker Lane We'll chat about the impact of our weekly demonstration outside the public library in Swanson Street as more Australians get on board with the need for increased social security payments as hard-working unemployed people try and find jobs. So I'd like to welcome in Jean Sirachi and Elaine. Hi,
2: Valerie. Hi, Valerie. Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you very much for coming in. Now, we'll be speaking to Paul about um, quarter to six on the phone. But uh, for now, I'd love you, Gene, to tell us about the AUWU's online advocacy program.
2: Sure. Well, at the start of this year, in 2019, I joined the AUWU and noticed that we had a very minimal social media presence in terms of our advocacy effort. And I was aware of the hotline as I'd called the hotline previously to receive some advice and some assistance in relation to my own issue with Job Active and a provider and thought that it would be a really great idea to help build up and expand the service so that we could actually see more people coming to us and being able to be informed of their rights and be able to fight back in their own personal capacity. Sure. And, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible experience working with something that's never been done before for, by the union and it's our new frontier, but to see it start to grow and blossom into a real-life advocacy service where people are actually coming to us and rely uh, and have become relying on us to, to be there and actually respond to them and, and have that trust that people know that we're there to help is just been... It's such a rewarding experience just to be a part of and I'm just really glad that the union's given me the opportunity to come on board to build that up for them and the people are actually coming and and taking notice of that online, especially with a lot of the media presence we've had in the last few weeks.
1: That's really good. We've we've had some online work before and a lot of phone work, but this is quite a new experience because uh, there's a lot of research that you really have to do and as you said, get back to the people who are ringing all the time to... um, to really research what their particular problem is. Can you give us an example of um, one of the issues you might deal with more generally rather than a specific person, or you could give us an example, a bit of a story on on, um, someone you've dealt with recently?
2: Well, a lot of the general uh, messages we do receive from our members is normally related to their job plan, if, it's, if something's applicable and is valid to their own personal circumstance and if that should be reflected in their job plan because their providers aren't informing them of what their rights are and yeah. the fact that a job a job plan is designed to be tailored to the individual's need and circumstances and they're just getting filtered through in a 15-minute initial appointment and just getting the same st- uh, t- uh, copywritten uh, plan that everyone else is getting and not having a chance to actually go over it and have an opportunity to say well that's not going to affect, that help me and looking at ways of being able to say well how can I ask them to to respect what I'm currently doing if my work because it's not full-time or because I want to I'm studying right now and just giving them that that, that resource of being like well this is the the information that we're provided passing on a little bits of the rights guide so that we're Also exposing that and exposing more of a a grand scheme of information to people, but also giving them the reference points of where that information is exact, because we can only rely on the information that's provided to us by the Department of Human Services, Department of Employment, and we're just relaying that information straight over and giving them the reassurance that that is absolutely right when they've got that gut feeling is normally what nine times out of ten the case, but sometimes we do see those very complex individual circumstances and just out of respect to those people just so I can't uh, I won't want to identify them I won't go into too much specific detail on individual ones
1: that's fine I I know uh, what you're talking about for example if we looked at it generally you were um, talking about an example where the person's not told their Their rights in the situation is meant to be mutual obligation exactly uh, people can be very intimidated when they go into job agencies, and that 's quite a deliberate situation, so mm. they can come out very stressed and anxious and i 'm um, sure um, some of them have been delighted to know that they have a guide um, which we've created at the unemployed workers union that takes them through all of these issues a real consumer guide. Mm isn't it? So there might be... Can you give us some of examples of the issues that, that come up often? Is it that people get breached, for example, for being late? Or that um, they were told by the job agency they received a phone call that they felt they didn't receive. There's quite a few things like that that happen.
2: There is. And normally uh, in those circumstances, people will tend to call the hotline over going to social media. They would would rather have an immediate one-on-one conversation just to be able to be absolutely sure because tensions are high, the stress and anxiety levels are going through the roof for them. And they just want to be absolutely reassured right in that moment that there is an option or a pathway for them. But when it comes to the online advocacy service, it's, it's most of the time it's the generalised things, like they're asking for some uh, support from their provider about... Getting funding to go study, or for uniforms, or being able to afford a public transport fares to be able to meet their appointments and job interviews, and not knowing about the Employment Fund General Account and having to because they're not told. That's it. They're not being told at all. Or when they're asking about it, because they've got a vague idea of the fund, they're being told that's not possible. That's not applicable to your circumstance. That's for other for other people and other streams. When it's not the case, everyone has a, has an absolute right to access that fund for. Being able to get in depend and that fund and the amount is obviously dependent on what inc- uh, the service stream that they're in, but at the same time, there are op- options for them, and their providers just are refusing to acknowledge that and trying to sweep it under the rug because it's a cost to them that they don't want to put into because they don't see the the investment in an individual, which is the worst thing about it.
1: It's often the case too that um, people have. Uh, because they've had no luck with getting jobs through the job agency, they've had uh, some luck doing it themselves, mm-hmm. and then um, the job agency interferes with the job. Yeah. Have you had that experience?
2: I have, actually. I've I, Well, every time I've been able to find employment, it's never through a job agency. It's always been through my own initiative and my own application. And then it gets to the point where I'm... On the job, actually, like mostly in customer service call centre roles, and I'm receiving phone calls from the provider's head office trying to get pay slips just yeah. to be able to confirm that I'm actually working. And it's like, I could lose my job for this. If so, if I answer a phone call while I'm on a phone call to a customer, there goes my employment, and I'm back in your office the next day anyway to as a client. So- and their
1: motivation is... To make sure they get their money out of you.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's it's to get that little, just last little boost of of payback for uh, for them, so that they've got a little, they can earn an extra profit, and that that they can go on doing their own business. It was like, for example, I was in my now former job service providers office a couple of weeks ago in an initial appointment. And I refused to sign over the waiver to hand over my pay slips, and Good. that turned into a bit of a into an argument I was being threatened with my payments being suspended for yes. it, and I straight off I just kept saying no i wouldn't." engage i just kept saying no to them you wouldn't be bullied oh no and they walked they got up walked off brought someone else in and to carry over the the appointment and he was explaining to me that they used that that information to be able to get that money to be able to actually keep themselves afloat mm. so they were basically putting this expectation on their clients to keep their their business running and it's just absolutely criminal to think that you could take vulnerable people and exploit them and put them in more precarious situations just to be able to turn a profit.
1: And that's really our theme today. We're going to be looking at that. It's it's pretty shocking, isn't it? It is. Um, but I guess you've found that um, the Unemployed Workers Union can really help people in many ways. I mean, we've got a website, unemployedworkers.com, which has um, a lot of useful material, including stories and experiences. Mm-hmm. We can put people in touch with a lawyer if they're Having difficulties mm. um, especially for example with Centrelink Robo debt we, we don't actually handle all of those stories but we've got contacts and we can help people in that way um, there's so many ways that the union can help
2: mm. and that's it and especially when it comes to Robo debt when people do mention that as soon as you mention that here in Victoria for example that the the Victorian legal aid have two separate cases in front of the court right now challenging the Robo debt system, people become a lot more uh, reassured that there's some hope that they're not going to be continually put through this experience because they feel like they're just having all the cards stacked against them and to the point where they just have to give up and just capitulate and accept what the terms are being put forward there's no mutual obligation from their provider or the department or the government itself it's just all this onus is on us as individuals to make sure that we keep going through hurdle after hurdle and if we slip up then we suffer the worst consequences for it and there's no due process to protect us from that.
1: And it's a bit like the banking system, you know, the corruption that um, was found in terms of um, um, bank officers getting incentives and um, rewards for doing certain things. Mm. And the way the system works with the privatised job agencies, they get paid not on the basis of how many jobs they get people. Uh, so it seems to be similar to me it's It's really based on the wrong ethic altogether it's unethical
2: yeah it at the end of the day it's not about supporting people in a in a community service it's about service delivery it's cust- it's a customer service it's yeah. about being able to see the end of that resolution and and the, at the end of the day, the customer isn't the client that they're they're um managing it's the department and the and the tender that they have with the department, so if they keep putting people through and keeping them in uh, getting them into jobs, even if they 're not going to be able to be sustainable jobs or, or suitable jobs for the individual they 're just trying to meet that expectation that they have to their customer, which is the department of employment and if they 're not meeting that, then their ratings start to sink, their ability to hold that that contract comes into question, and then they start putting the pressure on their clients because at the end of the day it's like an, it, it becomes down to a system of abuse it 's just placing all that all that responsibility in that um bonus onto another person, which has no power, but nonetheless is the one that has to take all the rap for it. And it's just...
1: It's really shocking. And that's exactly why um, we produced that guide, which is very comprehensive. And um, Mm. you can find it online on the um, unemployedworkers.com, unemployedworkersunion.com, sorry. Um, We can find it there. And or uh, we also have hard copies available. Um, meanwhile we're going to speak to um, Paul Baker in a minute and I just thought while I'm trying to ring him I'll just play a song from Mama Luna Uh, it's um, from the band Inca Marca and it's called Mama Luna and it's a, a CD I got at the Vic Market the other day it's some lovely South American music so I'll just play it while I'm ringing okay there, Paul? You there, Paul?
3: Yeah, I'm
1: here. Oh, great. Um, I'm Valerie Farfalla from uh, Unemployed Workers Fight Back, and I'm sitting here with my guests. I've got Elaine and I've got Jean here from the Unemployed Workers Union. We're going to um, have some discussions here with you. Yeah, that's great. In the meanwhile... Um, I'd just like to summarise your situation in conjunction with you. And you, you correct me and just help me with this. On the, on the phone the other day when I was talking to you, yep. I gathered that you said in 1995 at the age of 23, you'd left a club and two guys attacked you. At that time you had a factory and a strong army reserve career. You tried to get past them and they slammed you into a fence. Your neck was broken from the fall in Sydney's West and you became a quadriplegic. And um, now you're 47 and suffering from depression and anxiety, requiring a lot of financial help to support your care programs, but you want to be self-sufficient and get back to work. And for three years you've been fighting for a decent NDIS care plan. Now, can you take it from there?
3: Yeah, um, I think was worse was my first plan I asked them if they needed any documentation or anything like that to build the first plan. They they said no, that's fine and they interviewed me. And from there I got the first plan. The first plan was horrible and didn't adequately fund anything of my care. And um, and what's been going on has been a continued process of re- internal review after internal review. Uh, in the three years, I think I um, i could be wrong, my fifth or sixth plan, which has been horrible. And um, as they've gone on, they've slightly improved. The funding has improved, but it never seems to get put in the right um, section for you to actually spend any of it. And often they ask for numerous occupational therapist reports which I have piles of them now, but they don't read them. So uh, when you get the new plan, half of the goals that you set and the uh, requests for funding that you are asked for aren't funded. So you've got to lodge another review and found them. It's just like a merry-go-round, around you go again.
1: You said um, the lawyers for NDIS wanted to strip you of your mobility allowance and community access funding um and uh, what happened there?
3: Um, well it's been back and forth we, we got to a point where we thought they they gave us the indication that they were going to uh, go ahead and fund the conversion um, but they've since backtracked on that and now they again wanting to um, wanting me to outline extra care hours that I require, to fund the conversion. And the problem with that is that it's been 24 years now since I've um, been disabled, and I can't even tell them a timeline on how long the company will take to, to modify my vehicle. Um, but they expect me to be able to tell them uh, a timeline for the conversion, then a timeline for when I'll be totally independent. And then if I do require care, uh, by how much? And we've been arguing with them that you know can't they give me a half a plan that's um fully funded or even if they i i I offered for them to remove um ten percent of the full cost of the conversion every year, so I said you know it's my care funding is a lot of money it's sixty five thousand, but the conversion cost around one eighty we Calculated over the 10 years at 220, gave some margin, and we said, okay, reduce my care funding by 22,000 a year, leave me that 45, and at least I, I know I've got some funding there, so uh, I've got time to transition and we can see where we are. And then in six months' time, we can then, we'll know what, what I require but they're insisting that I come up with these numbers um, out mm. of my head. And, you know, the OTs are shaking their heads. Everyone's saying, you know, they're putting total unrealistic um, expectations upon me. And this has been exactly how the entire negotiation has been. They've been asking my doctors to give them, you know, how healthy will Paul be in 10 years questions regarding my disability and... Yeah, it's it's been very frustrating.
1: It must be, and there's a lot of red tape. Do you think that's uh, deliberately so they can cut costs?
3: The idea, and I've spoken to many people who have applied for funding, is is to frustrate you to the point where you give up and go away.
1: It sounds a bit like about Newstart too, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, and I, you know, everyone has told me this, like um, for this type of conversion, it's expensive but they don't understand the return back to the taxpayer um, you know if I'm attention mm. yeah that that's a saving just there but if I'm out in the community you know well supported to get to that point i, I could save thirty forty thousand dollars a year off my plan but yeah. they don't want to give me that soft cushion that uh, yeah they don't want to give me that assistance at the beginning to get up and going they they want me to fail and that I can only save there's no no other way of describing their tactics than their bullying
1: tactics. You said that your um, advocate um, doesn't have legal qualifications and yet you're up against the NDIS lawyers. That must feel like you're being bullied enormously.
3: Oh, absolutely. I believe last year they spent $10 million on lawyers and when I'm speaking with them uh, through the... uh, uh, over the phone they've got at least two lawyers in the room at any one time um and just recently we um this is where we, we came to the point where we thought we had a, a resolution and the AAT said oh great all right let's move forward let's get a decision maker on the phone and the lawyers backtracked because even the AAT thought we'd come to a resolution um and then they said that I oh, would we'd hear from them but we didn't hear from them for a week or so and then I received um, an email from them saying that they wanted to speak to us in a teleconference, but not with the AAT. Mm-hmm. And I said to Rowan, sorry, my support worker, that I, I did, I felt very uncomfortable. I felt bar up for something um, because I've lost any trust in the way they negotiate and how they operate. And he said, "Okay, I'll let them know." And let them know and they came back with an email and the only way it could be read, it was to intimidate me. And um, I haven't got it in front of me, but it basically outlined the fact that um, that, um, if if I didn't choose to speak to them like outside of the AAT in this conference, that they would make a decision based on the evidence before them. And basically going on what I've experienced over the last three years, that means that they would rewrite me, they'd probably fund a conversion but they would rewrite a new plan and I'd have no funding so,
1: and also recently you took a few weeks off from the gym funded by NDIS because you had pressure sores, then they took $8,000 off you because they said that you didn't spend it
3: yeah I was stuck in bed for several months so it was when I got this new plan and um, I was looking at the numbers and I said hang on, there's $8,000 missing and they said well yes you, you you haven't spent that funds, and I said, well, I've spent half the year in bed, and they just said, well, yeah, if you don't spend the money, um, I, I need to take that those funds.
1: Um, that's shocking. I'll just ask the other two if they want to um, make a comment on what you've been explaining.
2: Well, there's honestly not much I can comment on because this is something that I've not experienced firsthand. But
1: is it something similar though in terms of the? Um, the bullying and the cost cutting and um, the red tape.
2: Oh yeah, A- across the whole social services system, this isn't just something that's limited to the NDIS. We're seeing this in Centrelink. We're seeing uh, we're seeing it in multiple formats.
1: Yes, um, Elaine.
0: Oh, Daniel, I just want to um, congratulate you on your resilience.
1: Yes, that's Paul.
0: Oh, Paul, I'm sorry. That's all right, then. Um, it's you Isn't it sound, amazing you sound amazing and you 're really struggling for your rights and not laying letting them um, you know, push you push you out, uh, so keep up the fight. But what I see with the tactics they 're using on you, I see in my workplace i 'm a teacher uh, teaching English as a second language, and this kind of intimidation of uh, English as a second language students happens quite frequently but they take advantage um, of their um, lack of knowledge. They're, um, they're intimidated by, by the, you know, the power of the job agency, in all cases, NDIS. But I see a lot of similarities. You also
1: have a Centrelink robo-debt on top of all that. Is that right? Yeah,
3: I received one of those when they first came out, but luckily I was able to clear that up.
1: Oh, good. And how did you manage that? Because some people are just too intimidated to do that.
3: I got straight onto the phone and um, I asked them to elaborate and um, they, they were talking about um, um, bank accounts and things that I had and I said, well, that was a trust that was sent up 20 years ago when I originally uh, had the accident. Those funds were used more than a decade ago and, and, and everything was closed down and, and um, they looked into a few other things. And um, I think the main thing, that uh, the whole idea of that was to just get me to... And I wasn't aware that I had to update my bank details. And when I did that, they were, they were quite happy to go away and leave me alone.
1: Oh, well, look, that's good. Um, now, Paul, before the federal election, the LNP was accused of holding back funds for the NDIS to support their so-called surplus... Have you been made aware of a shortfall in NDIS funds from other people on the system or attempts to cut back care plan costs, such as in your Uh, experience? I
3: I know for a fact I met uh, an um, ex-NDIS planner who who told me that they had left because of the frustration. They said that there was a a freeze on hiring enough staff. So that's he said that he knew exactly what was going on. He said you you don't get enough time to actually read through the reports to actually um, deliver the plan that's required. So he said, um, and I've heard this just just recently about I think it was someone with uh, X-rays or something in Queensland where they had like had to review uh, 150 scans in an hour or something. He said it's the same thing. So he, he told me that, you know, you, you get all these documents in front of you and you've got a lot X amount of time and it's impossible. And he just said that he couldn't take it anymore and he left.
1: I think there was a recent uh, story about Centrelink um, workers having the same uh, problems, being told yeah. that they didn't need to worry about that and um, really shocking corruption going on there too.
4: Yeah, well,
3: it's, I think it's morally corrupt is how mm. it is mm. when we have a federal government that is so hell bent on delivering a surplus, and they don't, and in a typical uh, government situation is they um, the the, agent, the NDIS was set up in the same way where uh, you know you're allowed a lot a lot of x amount of funds if you not if you haven't spent that money by the end of the year they'll then try and cut cut you back. Mm. Um, When I was with FACS before I had transitioned, they actually gave us the funding up front. So they allotted X amount per month and they gave us those funds. And the the goal was, and it was great, uh, if you saved those funds up, if you needed extra equipment and there was no other funding body out there, uh, you could fast-track that. So I was able to do paper courses. I was able to upgrade my wheelchair. I bought... uh, a lot of equipment that would have taken forever and it would have come from other funding bodies. So I actually incentivised you to save the government's money. But the system they have delivered is a system is that you have to spend it all. If you don't spend it all, uh, they take it from you. So it's the waste system that the federal government and probably state governments have always run by it.
1: Right. So there have been claims that the LNP is targeting the most disadvantaged Australians to claw back money to reduce the welfare system bill. Do you think there's any truth in these claims?
3: Well, the, the, you know, the less fortunate are the ones who can't afford lawyers to take them on. Um, I've looked at cases where people have taken the in the, OSD, the AAT, and often these people are um, have won, but they've had legal representation because they have been um, accountants and doctors. Um, the gentleman who um, got his vehicle modifications funded, um, he wrote articles and had them published. Um, he was a doctor, had ran a lucrative um, firm. He, he still wanted the government to fund his vehicle conversions. Um, they didn't want to, but after he published... Um, Letters regarding how he was being treated. Someone parachuted in from the NIS, a senior delegate, and approved the funding. And he published his letters, and um, so I contacted that lady and asked her if she would assist me, and she basically shut me down and said, whilst you're at the AAT, I can't do anything. And I posted her letter that she'd sent to him that he'd put online and said, maybe just refresh your memory, this gentleman was at the AAT... And you, you know, you, you you saved him. Why won't you help me? Mm-hmm. And you just shun me off, and you know, and that's that's the experience I've had. Um, yeah, no one's willing to help, and they just shun you and and just kick you down the line.
1: So then, has the AAT been effective in helping you?
3: They are trying, but in in some instances, um, they've made directives, but you know, they've forgotten to document those and the NDIS have taken advantage of that and have not gone through with what they said they would do. So they said that at the next meeting, you know, we'll have um, a representative, a decision-maker. Because that paperwork hadn't been uh, left file, they obviously realised that they're off the hook and uh, there was no-one there. The next phone call, so just got kicked down the line.
1: Lost um, files, that sounds like Centrelink as well. <laughs> listen, I don't I hope think it's that, more
3: um, intentional, but it doesn't help.
1: I hope that um, someone's listening to our program who can help you. But meanwhile, there's a, a second part of this um, interview that you might like to listen into, which sort of um, carries on with the theme that we're talking about in terms of um, the most disadvantaged Australians being targeted. Um and a recent ABC background briefing program, um, whistleblowers were warning that a $350 million government program aimed at getting parents back to work, Parents Next, is exploiting vulnerable single mothers and even the homeless. So you, you're you welcome to listen in um, and make comments, but we'll, we'll get on with this part of it now. Yes. Um, so the Parents Next is this scheme to get parents on welfare or social security entitlements we prefer, to meet work and study goals and then return to the workforces. Um, Employment service providers receive $600 for every client who's on parents next. And whistleblowers say service providers have kept parents in the scheme who should be exempt, partly because they haven't told them that they're exempt. Um, So this is actually the first Australia-wide program to allow private employment service providers to decide who must participate, so the job providers, the job agencies, get to choose who must participate. It gives them a whole lot of power. And um, background briefing interviewed current and in, and former employees in the lucrative employment services sector, and they say some caseworkers are pressured to sign up and retain people who face significant personal crises, even though departmental garden guidelines stipulate they should be exempted. Um, this is an example of a homeless woman, um, Mel. She's 33. She's one of more than 3,000 homeless Australians who've been signed up to the compulsory employment training program, Parents Next, despite having no fixed address to take a shower or prepare a warm meal for her kids. So um, she spent two years on Tassie's public housing waiting list. And she was furious when she got a letter demanding she go and uh, undergo an eligibility assessment for parents next, or else her parenting payment would be cut off. And she said, it's degrading. It makes us feel like we're lazy, like we're doing nothing for our kids. Um, it's, it's pretty shocking. Now, the guidelines from the Department of Jobs specify Centrelink could have exempted her from participating on the grounds of her homelessness. But instead, she was referred to a local not-for-profit community provider, work skills, which were paid a government fee just for her turning up. Oh, it's disgraceful. Yeah. Um, So she was exempted at her first meeting with work skills, but she'll be re-examined for eligibility in 12 months. She can't understand why the department didn't exempt her at the outset. Um, But still, um, last week her parenting payment was cut off after she forgot to tick a box, declaring her zero income to Centrelink. So this is a homeless woman with children to look after. And so she's been cut off the parenting payment. Um, Simone Casey was the top policy advisor at the industry's peak body, Jobs Australia, during a federal Senate inquiry into the employment services sector earlier this year. And Members had been split on whether Jobs Australia should advocate to scrap the existing Parents' Next model. And so Simone Casey made the case that Parents' Next punished parents for matters out of their control, and initially, Jobs Australia supported this position. Um, but then later, the board weren't, be, uh, weren't happy with the positions they'd been advocating. After the Senate inquiry, she said she was told not to do anything more on Parents Next. And she was quite confused. Um, this is uh, Simone Casey, the top policy advisor there. And uh, her argument is, even though many of these organisations were not for profit... She believes they depended on the scheme for contracts. They want to maintain their existence and they want to maintain the employment of their staff and risks to their income undermine their ongoing stability. So Miss Casey believes Jobs Australia was moderating its criticism of Parents Next because some members, including the Western Australian provider Communicare WA, didn't want to risk losing their Parents Next contracts. So this is not really about helping people on Parents Next, is it?
0: This is a conflict of interest, isn't it? It's the um, private profit versus the needs of the people they're supposed to be representing and supporting.
1: Yeah. And I can see some similarities with NDIS there. Um, Can't you, Paul?
3: True. Um, I've um, had a lot of friends who've had experience working with these employment providers, and they'll often tell them that that they basically go there and have them fill in forms and... um, Make phone calls for jobs that don't exist. And, um, from, you know, what I can see is that it's an entire industry. And, and it, it is actually, that my brother also um, had an injury. And his experience was it was just you were a number, and I was just churning you through. It was not a matter of trying to find you a job or find your position, it was keeping you in the system. And obviously, their income coming in, um, you know, I'm young, old enough, I should say, and not young enough, but to um, I received, I like, got my first job for order at Centrelink, and I think it was a lot more efficient and would have saved government a lot more money if they go back to that system mm. and actually probably fund um, the, um, the the old Centrelink system because the fact is when you outsource it, a company has to make a profit, the government does not have to make a profit. Um, so if they're properly resourced, it's always been proven that larger government actually provides more um, more cost-effective service delivery. But the reason that they do it, they, they've stepped away and used third parties is when it comes to um, busting unions and um, industrial relations um, um, stoppages. That's why that they do that. So we get a worse... Uh, a worse income and
1: for them it's less head Yes, there's um, also one former caseworker with the Melbourne not-for-profit, they tend to come up a lot, don't they? Um, CVGT, Carol, she said there was a lot of pressure on staff to keep vulnerable clients in the program in order to achieve budget targets. Um, she said that in some cases, this company, CVGT, actively encouraged staff to find clever ways to refuse medical exemptions. Even when they were supported by medical certificates, to retain clients over rollover periods. Um, it's it's shocking, and she was fired when she complained about the practices.
0: I think your your suggestion that the return to the uh, CES CES system is spot on, Paul. Uh, how can a system be more efficient when they've got to add in a profit motive? There's a vested interest in, as you say, retaining people on the system, not really catering for their needs, um, and um, turning turning that into private profit.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think we've um, we've probably exhausted that particular issue. But look, thank you very much for being on the program, Paul. And please keep in touch still with Unemployed Workers Union, um, and um, especially the advocacy group, so that um, we can help you in the future as, as much as we can, okay?
3: Yeah, sure. I've got I've, uh, 24 years of being in a, with a disability and looking after staff, so there's a lot I can um, contribute and I'm happy to come on again. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Yeah. <music>
4: Kid. I'll never have five million dollars worth of legal tender mate I haven't even got a five spare that I can venture And I never went to private school, I'll never own a yacht I haven't got the fancy things that other people got I don't need no caviar, I don't even own the car And when I die a mausoleum won't be on my graveyard plot Cause I am a poor man but I am not ashamed I've got you on my mind instead of money on my brain I don't know just what the future holds But money won't be what'll make us happy when we're old. So won't you lend me 50 bucks my sweet thanks, you're out of sight And we'll just need a slab or two to get us through the night Buy a deck of cigarettes and smoke until we get out, fix and laugh and sing and talk until the birds call out the light Superannuation, what the On my
1: brain. No, I know. That's a great song, Poor Man, from Flap. It's a it's a great song, and it was um, it was really talking good talking to Paul Baker, wasn't it? It was. So the next topic we want to talk about is some of the developments uh, the last couple of weeks in New There's been mm. a lot of um, unusual, but terrific, um, positive public attention. Um, on Newstart in terms of um, increases. Now, I'll just give an example before we start talking about it. The Australia Institute, um, Ben Oquist, Executive Director there, said on Sky News, which is good, you know, that terrible right-wing thing, um, if you don't want to increase new start, then own it. Just say you don't think the unemployed deserve it, but to hide behind that idea that we just can't afford it when we're giving out such largesse yes in tax cuts and tax concessions like $300 billion worth of income tax cuts. And he said, it's absolutely obscene and it's well past time for an increase in Newstart. The Sydney Morning Herald seized a great example on Monday night's Q&A when audience member 62-year-old Ricky Bartels threw political slogans into the shredder. You know, ScoMo's slogan, have a go to get a go, hand up not hand out, and she, she mocked that really well. Because um, she's had a work life in senior well-paid jobs and she's 62 and she just can't get a job. And it was actually quite good because Tony Jones um, didn't let this go. She said, i paid taxes for 46 years. i put 20 years in the private sector and 26 years in the public sector for a not-for-profit community service. I was forced onto new start at the age of 62 through change of management and subsequent re- retrenchment. She said... I've experienced Newstart for over three years. So um, she was asked how she coped. She said, to put it in a nutshell, it's the worst time of my life. The loss of dignity, the loss of friends, because you can't go out, you can't socialise, not eating proper food, even though I suffer various ailments, looking for a job, applying for a job, not getting the job. For me, it was the worst time of my life. Cassandra Goldie, who was on the panel from ACOS, said, there's a lot of shaming that goes on, isn't there, Ricky? And Miss Bartle said, "Your confidence goes zip." Not only have I had a go for forty-six mm. years, I believe I had a go a new start, and I don't like hearing things like "have a go" to "get a go." It's actually so insulting. Um, so that was her comment, um, and um, and that comes also after. Um, Natalie Barr from Channel 7 Sunrise apologised after referring to people on Start as doll bludgers. Apparently there were thousands of callers disgusted with her comments. So just questions for you, Jean and Lane. After summarising some of the support I've observed in the news media, I'd like to ask you both about how the AUW has improved community awareness about the plight of disadvantaged job seekers, for example, events, campaigns, teamwork, advocacy programs. Would you like to go first, Lane?
0: Sure, Valerie. Um, the Unemployed Workers Union recently had an excellent uh, Twitter response, and in response to the Channel Seven um, article, and they had—I uh, think—they were trending on top of Twitter. Number one oh, topic wow. in the country. Yeah, That's fantastic. And uh, that was a big part of why the. Um, Channel Seven had to back down on that and make a retraction. Mm-hmm. So, and and as part of that, people then started sending in little short stories about their situation on on um, Newsart and under the under the thumb of job agencies. So it's really putting it out there into the public domain that the, the government representation of unemployed people is false. It's a demonisation of them, um, and uh,
1: it serves serves their interests exclusively. Mm. And I think you've also been holding an event on Mm. Thursdays outside the public library, is that right?
0: Yes, so on Thursday nights, the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union have started a new start outreach um, um, action from from five o'clock to six o'clock every Thursday night outside the state library. So we've used Ray's new start as a sort of talking point, but it's really about... um, taking up some of the, the issues that we've been discussing today, um, that social security is under attack and the most vulnerable groups in our society have been targeted. So um, we want to sort of try and break down some of the myths that have been created by the government by, through talking to the public. So we've got, a, we've got a few things that we're doing. We've got a petition to, to talk to people about raising Newstart We've got some great signs that just target the issue really, um, you know, short, short, sharp messages. Um, we've got a sign show, saying uh, that Scott Morrison gets $1,504 a day in his salary, and that's just the base salary, and um, an unemployed worker gets $40 a day. So if people stop, we have a chat to them, we invite them to... Um, send a selfie to SCOMO with that sign. Mm. And a lot, a lot of people say yes. So we've been taking their photo, putting it on Twitter and um, adding some commentary with it. And um, people are we're getting a really positive response to that because I think what people recognise when they see that sign is that, um, you know, our politicians are out of touch. They're receiving huge wages. Um, we've got this disconnected political elite really doesn't know what's going on in society they're, they're in there they earn a huge amount of money and um, we have to ask ourselves are these the best people to be representing us they're not representative of people in Australian society.
1: Mm. It's That's so true um, and you've done a great job it was your idea and you've you've generated um, a lot of interest and and you've got a lot of supporters from the union now coming along with mm. we need more and more though
0: and we really like to invite members of the public to come along. And there, there's, um, you know, just for an hour, come along and say hello. If you, you know, think these this is an issue, not just unemployed people, but um, underemployed people, people in work, um, we're calling everybody to support us and, um, you know, try and break down some of the mythology about unemployed people.
1: People from Parents Next, <coughs> people um, mm-hmm. on the disability pension, a whole lot of groups like that who... are. Uh, disadvantaged. Mm. Mm. And uh, do you have any comment on that in terms of um, what we were talking about?
2: Well, just in particular with our with the union being able to generate our uh, not a doll bludger hashtag after mm. Sunrise's terrible report on new start recipients 78% of us being suspended from our payments and trying to shift the narrative of us mm. trying Goodness. to solve ourselves of yes. our obligations and it's like I don't think we're willingly deciding to lose our payments in order to to stick it to the man. Like, that's kind of a self-defeating purpose. Yeah, it's
1: mm-hmm. on $40 a day. And
2: yes. just to see that traction build up, how just to open up a, a channel for people to actually come forward and express their own personal experiences and being able to see that narrative shifting very suddenly, even just in the online space. But we're seeing that happen on a daily basis more and more in the country, even to the point where our former Deputy Prime Minister now supports a raised to start, And and the Unemployed Workers Union's own Jeremy Poxon on Sky News talking to Chris Kenny welcoming Comrade Barnard to, be to the resistance like we're seeing that huge shift in in the discussion now instead of it being a matter of trying to break down the the um, the dehumanization of unemployed people in australia we're now seeing that rehumanization of unemployed people because people are starting to realize that these are this they know at least one or two people that are experiencing this now three million people are unemployed or underemployed in australia and living under the poverty line this is something that affects all of us in our communities and our neighborhoods our families our friend circles and we're starting to to recognize just the human cost that it that it that it takes by suppressing people's ability to actually live a any form of quality lifestyle, being able to, to, be, to, to be forced to live under the poverty line is what's harming the, the, the social fabric of our society and people are starting to see that massive disconnect when you've got a prime minister who's the highest paid leader in the OECD compared to a class of people which are the lowest paid people in the OECD on social security payments. And it's it, it, people just are starting to re- recognise that there is a huge divide between the wealthiest of the wealthy and the poorest of the poor. And politicians are consistently putting themselves in the favour of the most wealthiest of society, trying to completely remove themselves from who they are. And especially in areas like Geelong's northern suburbs, where there is the highest ratio of, of unemployed people in the entire country, and the their local leaders and their and their parliamentarians are so far removed that you don't see them in their, in their neighbourhoods talking to people and addressing these issues, which are actually affecting every almost every single household in in these areas. They're just Removing themselves and trying to avoid actually having to acknowledge the issue and only and some are starting to acknowledge it, but only because it's becoming kind of somewhat expendable for them politically to be able to to try and drum up support just for their own interests, but at the end of the day it's the people on i see on facebook just in the sydney morning herald articles or the age or abc just actually saying this isn't good enough of a country we need to be doing more for these people and sure this isn't meant to be a permanent wage for for most of us but it shouldn't mean that we have to live in absolute inequality just because we're still trying to be able to find work and if in in a market where there is no work available for us at this at this time
1: yeah look that's very important what you're saying it's um there is a big gap, but um, what do you think of the view that, um, given that the economy is really, it seems like there is a recession coming on, and there'll be many thousands of people put off work, that the government must realise that it can't use that demonising sort of language. Mm. The uh, many people still in a job, unfortunately, have a bit of a. Some of them have a, and I'm all right, Jack, until they actually find themselves on the new start line. Exactly, and um, to all our listeners who are lucky enough to have a job, and it's it's great, but um, we can't really assure you that that's going to continue. And maybe you can support our cause um, because you may you may be unemployed, or, or you may have a parent who's in their fifties who who finds they're on new start because they get retrenched.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that a lot of people do have that personal experience of. Um, You know their children being um, on um, uh, studying on Ausstudy or studying under Newstart, and they have that direct experience of the impact of the of the low wage. So the the casualisation of the workforce. There's a lot of people who are underemployed. They've got small amounts of employment. Their employment is unstable. So. this knowledge of this is spreading in this across the society, and I think people's ability to put that information out there through social media has, has increased so much that it's hard to for the government to control the message as as well as they did in the past. And um, the unemployed workers' union has been really an important part of, of changing that in, that information that's available to people. I've got a lot of information on the website that you can check. Check out if you want to get some facts on the matter as well. Talk to your colleagues, workmates.
1: And, Jean, if people want to um, get in touch with the advocacy line um, at the Unemployed Workers' Union, how do they go about that?
2: So if they want to contact us by calling us, it's 1-800-AUW-4U and if they want to reach out to us on social media we if you just search on facebook the australian unemployed workers union you'll be able to send us a message and uh, and our volunteers will respond to you as, as soon as we can as as guaranteed being a volunteer organization we don't have the ability to be as proactive as we would like to be, but we are putting all of our initiative in with what resources we do have and the people that are actually able to commit some time to helping other people and being able to answer those questions. So if you do have any uh, need of support or you've got some questions that you'd like answered, especially if you're trying to understand more about what's happening to unemployed people in Australia, please do reach out to us on Facebook and we will contact you at, at, at any time. Sometimes it could even be if you're messaging us at 2 in the morning, you might be lucky enough to get a response because one of our advocates will be available to, to actually sit down and actually have a proper conversation with you. And oh, then, really? And, <laughs> that's
1: very good.
2: And if people, that's
1: pretty amazing. 24-7 service, eh?
2: I wish we could say it was 24-7 service. but And, and that's something that we're trying to also uh, embolden is that We are, no matter the the distinction between unemployed and employed workers, we are still workers and we are still...
1: Exactly, hard workers. That's it. And
2: we're still doing a job no different to what other people are doing that are employed. It's just we're doing this unwaged and we're doing it out of the, the dedication and the passion that we have for wanting to help people.